I'm just going to read Genesis chapter 39 this morning just to prepare our hearts for the word. And uh, you can follow along if you like in the, the Bibles in front of you. And it's on page 30. Genesis chapter 39, page 30 in your Bibles. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptians because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the obedience of Joseph. And, Lord, I just pray that as Tom brings your word this morning, that you would just anoint him, God. You'd give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, Lord, to be obedient to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I've been preaching a long time, probably since about 1992, and I ran across this by Jim Cimbala this week that just pierced my heart. It says, Preachers who are really doing their job will get people to come to the throne of grace. That is the true source of grace and mercy. So if at the end of the service, your only response is, Good job, Tom. You missed the point. 
is my heart, it is my desire, it is my passion always to take us to the presence of God because it is in his presence that we are changed and changed alone. And if you look to a man or a woman, to a book or a tape or a cassette or anything, you're going to miss the point. I, I, when people used to order messages from me and from my ministry and, and would, would, would get the stuff, I always thought, did you get the Lord or did you get a message from man? So it is my heart that the Spirit of God, as I, as I preach today, would convict you with righteousness and truth, but he would also minister with words of knowledge and words of wisdom so that you would know that the living God has heard your situation and has manifested his presence in your life. Amen? We've been doing a series called Living the Dream. Pastor Jim, I really like what he said. He said, a dream is a high ideal, a holy ideal, an aspiration towards a particular goal, a compelling plan we want to accomplish, a course that we are passionate about, a call to a particular kind or place of service. It is a vision of something we want to accomplish in that service. When we begin to live out God's kingdom dreams, we find ourselves engaging in our kingdom's enemy. The enemy will do all that it can to destroy both a kingdom dream and a kingdom dreamer. Today, my name of the title of my message is Seducer of the Dream. I want to look at those of us of who are in our life that are seducers of the dreams that God has placed inside of your life. Some of those dreams have been inside of your life since you were born. And then it was only through the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and relationship to the Father that there was a manifestation of unfolding of the dream that God's called you to. That's why some of you didn't fit into the place that you tried to fit into. That's why sometimes life didn't make sense. There was an unusualness about who you were until you understood the calling and the purposes that God has had for your life. You were created for good works, the Bible says, which God knew of beforehand, even before he revealed himself to you. But also in that process, there's been the enemy of God, the enemy of our soul, the Satan himself who's been trying to seduce you away from those dreams. I really believe God wants to unpack something today, that if you listen in your presence or your heart, it will change the way you think. And that's not hyper stuff here. There's something that went off in my heart in the last month that radically shifted and changed my perspective on what God was doing in my life. The entrance of his word brings illumination and light. It's for correction, for reproof, but it's also for putting us in a place where it separates the spirit man from the flesh side of us. And there's too many of us that live in the flesh. And if we're going to talk about dreams, you can't manifest this, the presence of God living in your flesh. There has to be a separation where the spirit of God that's placed in your heart comes alive and suddenly what he says matters more than what the flesh says. If we're going to look at seducers of the dream today, in the Hebrew, the word seducer means to wander away. It means to, to lead astray. Like this, it means to vacillate or reel or stray, both literally and figuratively. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his way. That's what a seducer does to you. One day you believe God's calling for your life, the next day you don't. Hands can be laid on you, oil poured on your head, and all of a sudden it's like, I know what God wants, and on the way home your wife can speak a word that suddenly kills that dream, or your husband, or your kids, or your mother, or your father. It means to vacillate back and forth. Seduce also means to go astray, to deceive, to dissemble, to err, to pant, to seduce, to stagger, to cause to be out of the way. In the Greek, it's very similar. It also means to objectively be fraudulent, subjectively stray from orthodoxy or piety. It's delusion, it's error. So when we're talking about seduction, 
seducing of the dreams. We're not talking about something that's good. We're talking about something that probably has described the life you've lived in. And this whole year of dreams is not a good thing for you because you don't want to talk about dreams. Because you pressed in and the enemy has come in and has caused you to wander and to stagger. And it's not been a good thing. It's time to do a little damage to the kingdom of darkness today. Amen. If God has created us and fashioned us and purposed us for good works, then it's time to start hearing what he has to say. It's time to start hearing what he has. And I love this story because if you look at it through the eyes of the father, you realize all hell didn't break loose in the story. All heaven was priced into the side of this thing. If we choose to listen with the heart of God. A seducer is a person who entices the lures, who especially entices to engage in sexual intercourse. In the Hebrew, one of the words for no means intercourse. Adam knew Eve, but more importantly, Adam was known by the father. And the enemy's goal ultimately, write this down somewhere, his ultimate goal is to separate you from the love of the father. That's his goal. It's not to take your car, take your kids, take your house, take your wife. It's none of that stuff. He wants to mess with your relationship with the Father. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ came to pay us to get us back to. The relationship with the Father. His ultimate goal is to remove you from the Father. Okay, so that's the enemy. That means that Jesus' ultimate goal is to get you into relationship with the Father. The seducer of your dream, his whole goal is to knock you out and say, yeah, but God said... And God, God, can that really be you? And to cause you to sit there and waver in your mind about who God is and the reality of what you've seen versus what the Word of God says. See, on one hand, the seducer in Joseph's life was Potiphar's wife. Seemingly, the story has nothing more to do with but an adulterous situation, a proposition, a once-in-a-life opportunity to be with, I assume, this beautiful woman because it doesn't say he ran out of there because she was ugly. He was handsome, we're told that, but I'm guessing, the way, just the way that uh, politicians tend to have someone on their arm to make them look good, that this was a beautiful woman. Let's just go with that thing. So it seemingly, it looks on the one hand just a story about temptation to give in to, or to not give in. On the other hand, this had everything to do with his dream. The test would be his ultimate calling. Would he say yes or would he say no? Would he give up his dream for a temporal, carnal, lustful situation? Or would he say to no and to press into the purposes and the plans of God for his life? Ultimately, this would be the benchmark of his life, not in spite of the dream, but because of the dream. There was an anointing on him. It says in Genesis that the enemy made war with his seed. You are part of the seed. If you, are, if you are grafted in the vine, the attack is to try to destroy you. All throughout scriptures we see the attack is to destroy the lineage of what God has called. So when he's destroying the babies, Herod's going around destroying the baby, he's trying to destroy the seed. The enemy wants to come in there in your life, in your situation, and to destroy what God has deposited in you through Jesus Christ. Potiphar's wife was really a seductor of Joseph's dream. She tried to entice him away from the dream. She tried to say, in essence, what I have for you is better than what God's plans and purposes are for you. She tried to convince him that nobody would know, that there'd be no long-term effects. I love this. Proverbs 6 says this, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. An adulteress will prey upon his life. You could actually say, or his, her life. Can a man hold fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? 
And yet this woman was saying, it's not a big deal. Everyone's gone. Everyone's missing. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. Potiphar's wife was daring and shameless in her enticement, urgent and violent in her temptation. Day after day after day, she seduced it. And some of you have been listening to the father of all lies, and he's been speaking lies in your life, not just once, but over and over and over and over, and saying, come this way. This has got life. This is better than what God wants. This is more important. And some of you have fallen for it. And some of you have been trying to fight, and you've been going back and forth. It's time to do some damage to the enemy's camp today. Potiphar's wife went to Joseph every day trying to seduce him away from the dreams and the purposes of God for his life. The essence of this story is that Potiphar's wife was really a pawn in the hands of Satan. That's who was ultimately behind this whole attack. She was walking in the lust of her eyes, not in the purposes of God. She was scandalous and devoid of any virtue and honor. Her temptation was from the pit of hell itself. Because if you notice the other people, the other characters in the story, they recognized the anointing that was on Joseph's life. They recognized that the presence of God was with him. To the point that they're all suddenly taking keys out and saying, you're metaphorically in charge of all these. Literally, you're in charge of things. They're saying to him, in essence, we see the presence of God in your life, and we are going to walk in that anointing. Potiphar's wife was so delusional, so deceived, that she couldn't see that what Joseph had was more important than what she wanted. Seducers are relentless. They don't back off. They don't give up because you're tired. They don't give in because you've had a bad night's sleep. They don't give in because you've had a great prayer meeting. They will not back off until ultimately their goal is achieved. That's what makes it so important we understand what they're trying to do. Their goal is to win. The seduction in your life is to remove the dreams of God, the purposes of God. They don't play fair. They don't play by rules. They don't follow. You ever notice this in war? It's, we have this Geneva Code, and here's the United States trying to do battle following the Geneva Code. And the other side saying, we don't follow those rules. The enemy of our soul does not read about everything that are lovely, pure, virtuous, or praiseworthy. He doesn't follow about uh, Romans 12, verses 9 and on, where it talks about how to behave as a Christian. He doesn't follow the rules. He's vicious. He doesn't care what he destroys in the process. That's why some of you have gone through literal hell, it seemingly, because the enemy of your soul is just that. He's your enemy. You know why? Because you're God's friend. And some of you have had this attack on your life and the seduction that has come in and trying to lure you away simply because you're a friend of God, not because you did something wrong. Satan will do whatever it takes to seduce people away from God. He uses money, power, and sex ultimately to lie his way through the process of the seduction. Jesus tells us he's the father of lies. In John 8, 44, he says, your fathers of the devil, referring to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, the desires your father all want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's the liar and the father of it. NIV says he's the father of all lies. Satan's goal ultimately is to destroy you. He's not coming in there trying to hurt you. So why are you playing with him? Why why, why are you messing with some of the stuff you're messing with? He has no intention of blessing you. Why do you sit there and toy with some of the stuff that we toy with? I'll tell you why I think we do. We listen to the father lies and we don't realize that what we're doing is walking on this dangerous ground between the purposes of God and the deception of the enemy. 
Jesus says in John 10, 10, the first part, the thief does not come but except for one purpose. He's there to steal, and then he's going to kill it, and then he's going to ultimately destroy it. He's not playing games. He doesn't want you leaving with a little woundedness. This is not whoever gets the most goals in the game or the most scores at the end wins. His goal is to take everything from you and then to kill it and then to remove it to a place that is oblivious. It's no more. That's not the purposes of God. Many times in the Bible we see Satan seducing people away from the purposes and the dreams through life. Esau, Genesis 25, Esau was seduced from his dream by a morsel of food. He sold his birthright because he was hungry. Hebrews 12:16 says this, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. Deception! He was the first child. He should have had it all. Deception, the deceiver said, a morsel of food is more important than the dream and plans that God's got for your life. David was seduced from his dream by wanting Bathsheba. He saw a beautiful woman, 2 Samuel verse 12, chapter 12. And he ended up fathering a child and authorizing and ultimately committing murder in place of the dream that was calling on his life. You read the story about how Samuel came and anointed David in front of all these other brothers. This man was seduced away from the dreams and purposes of God. And if you read the end of his story, God's name is still on that guy. And I think he holds him up higher than anybody else in the Bible at times. But ultimately, he was a lousy father and a lousy husband. And he had a scar and blemish in his life, in here, not in the eyes of God, but in his life that he has to always try to get past. Judas was deceived and seduced from his dream for 30 pieces of silver, Matthew 26. He ended up killing himself in the process. He didn't get the dream or the silver. Listen to me. If you want God's dreams fulfilled in your life, you are going to have to learn to say no to the seducers in your life for the sake of the bigger dream. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26 says this, By faith, Moses, when he was of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He looked to the reward. There's got to be something inside you that says there's something more important than this, than, this, than this short carnal temptation. There has to be. So many of you people in this here have been seduced away from the things of God simply because you do not know how to word no, except for when you're asked to volunteer for something. Then you know how to say no. Some of you have to learn to say no. Some of you have to understand how the button on the computer gets pushed off. Well, I have to shut it down. If I come in, if I close it down improperly, as the pop-ups are flipping all over your screen, pull the plug out. You've got to learn to say no because ultimately the bigger picture is not just what's taking place now. It's about the things God wants to do in your life for the sake of everybody else that you're going to touch. That's the bigger picture. He's not just that he loves you. He loves you as sons and daughters. But he's not thinking about what God wants to do in my ministry. He wants to do with the people that I will touch and what they will do in their homes and their businesses and their countries and everywhere else. That's why it's so devastating. The destruction is not just you. Every time we read the stories of of David and others that failed in the test, someday they're going to have to say, I wish that never happened to me. They're great stories for us to learn from, but they're ultimately they're not the same story as like Joseph, who did triumph victoriously, as we read in this story. Satan would love for us to believe, especially us guys, 
that Joseph made the wrong decision in this story. Joseph turned down the chance of his lifestyle, and look what happened to him. It wasn't blessing that flowed. It got worse. Joseph goes, as we read a few weeks ago, that Joseph goes and says there's a dream for him, and then he goes and tells another dream for him, and he gets sold and thrown into a pit, and ultimately ending up in Egypt. And then he gets in a place where suddenly he's got some some prominence and, and trust and security and things that look like they're going good. And this woman gives an opportunity. And most politicians, as we read, Democrat or Republicans give into this stuff. Joseph didn't. And you think God would say, that's my man. We're going to bless him. Instead, he gets worse. Potiphar no longer trusts him, throws him into prison. And seemingly, Satan would love to, for us to believe, this guy really missed it. Because this says, in essence, if you say no to God, he's, gonna, he's just going to go and continue to work on you and to beat on you and to strike you down. And so what difference does it make? Might as well give in. Seemingly. And yet we know the end of the story where in Joseph, chapter 50 is a whole different story when we see what really took place and what was really take place. There's something about us, men especially, we've got to learn to start saying no to some of these things. And women. Once again, seemingly, Joseph got the short end of the stick. Once again, it seems like he was in a position further and further away from the dream that was on his life. I mean, God does not not give him a dream, but he gave him another dream to confirm this dream, and now he's further from it, seemingly. And that's what Satan would love for us to believe. Joseph turned down this opportunity of a lifetime, this chance of a lifetime, for a chance of something bigger. And the bigger thing is because he listened to what was going on inside of him, that the purposes of God were inside of him, and they were beating in him, the calling. And most of us have learned to shut that part off. There's got to be something inside of us, the Spirit of God rising up in us and said, I've got higher purpose, I've got higher plan, there's a greater calling, there's something more inside of And you know that calling, but you've learned to shove it down. And you've not listened to it as others have come along and squashed your dream and told you why you couldn't do that dream. And now suddenly the seducer comes in and says, i got plan B for you. It's actually plan A, and it's so much better. We've got to learn to not listen to that. And once again, that's why I love this year, this year to dream again. This is the first time in all the years when I was pastoring in this church that I've ever seen a year or two describing what God is doing now. Usually at the end of the year, it explains what happened during that year. This is the first year where my, my, the water tables of my mind and my faith really believe that this is what God is doing. It's not going to be December we start dreaming. He's explaining what he's already doing, which is once again bringing back stuff to our minds, reminding us of purposes. Satan also would love for us to believe, in light of this story, that, that the world that we know and we live in are out of control. It's not out of control. There's nothing could be further from the truth. There is no metaphorical remote control that the two of them, one day God has it and one day Satan has it. God is in control. He's the creator. Satan is a created being and he's a defeated foe and God is still in control. In this story we see it, in your life, I want God to show it to you. He is still in control of your life and the destiny and the calling and the dream that's in you is still going to happen because God said it. And no matter what's going on in your life, it's still going to happen because God said it. That's the plan. That's the purpose. One of my favorite scriptures, it says, if they had known... If the enemies had known, they would have never crucified him. I could just see God going and saying, take your best shot. Take your best shot. Took his best shot and he says, oh no. Do you realize what we just did? 
in the process of, of the death, burial, and resurrection, he defeated Satan. He put him under his feet once forevermore. The whole thing is done, and Jesus said, it's finished. Satan has been coming after some of your lives. And the reason that the intensity has come up is he knows that if he can convince you that he's winning, you'll back off. If you're getting attacked, I'm telling you this, with all fiber and being inside of me, it's because there's a purpose and a calling in your life that is beyond your understanding. That's why we need to pray for each other. That's why we've been having the altar call so we take time to pray. Not for, not for oh, here's Liz, third week in a row. Instead of saying, here's Liz, third week in a row, we're not giving up. We're not quitting. We're going to see there until the purposes of God are fulfilled in your life. Amen? Remember, Satan is a deceiver. He's fraudulent. He's objectively fraudulent. He's deceiving us about God. He is delusional and he is an error. He is a seducer. God has been and always will be in control. There's no jockeying for positions. You don't have to worry about it. Listen, even in prison, God was at work. It, seducers are relentless, but so is God. The other half of John 10 says, but I, but I, but I have come to give you life and life in abundance. He may be kind to kill, steal, and destroy. I came for this purpose. Who do you think is going to win in that equation? Satan and his destruction or God bringing Zoe life, the God life, the kind of abundant life that you want? He's still in control. If the seducer is relentless, then so is God. You won't relent, God, until you have it all. My heart is yours is the response to that we need to say. God, hear my cry, O God. Give heed unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy, Psalm 61 says. I have heard the slander of many, terror on every side, as they took counsel together against me, a scheme to take away my life. But I said, I will trust in you. My time is in your hands, the psalmist cries out. There's got to be something that goes off in our spirit that says, if the enemy is relentless, and so is God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the cool thing about it. People say, well, you can't hear God until you come to him. Really? I heard him while I was a sinner. Softly and tenderly, Jesus was calling. Call all sinners, come home. Why should I linger when Jesus is calling? Calling all sinners, come home. He has been speaking to you. And somewhere inside of you, because of the tiredness, because of the brokenness, you've not responded. But you need to understand, the Lord was with Joseph. He sat in that prison. Multiple times in the story that Dave read and saw in Genesis 39, it says the Lord was with him, and he made him prosper. He wasn't just with him. Psalm 23 says, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a shadow, first of all, but when he goes through it, the Lord does not send us through there. He takes us through there. And if we're really trusting that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, if he chooses to take us through the valley of the shadow of death, he must have a purpose. But he's not sending us, he's taking us. And there's a difference. He didn't send Joseph to the prison, he went down there. Potiphar threw him in, so the Lord said, I guess, Joe, Joe, I guess we're spending some time in prison. It says the anointing of God was there, the presence of God was there, the purposes of God were there. The dream was still there, nothing changed. Can I give you a clue? Chapter 50, Joseph wins. The fulfillment of God wins. God wins. His truth about the dream that he gave him early on, we read a few weeks, he wins. Nothing changes. So if God, I honestly think God is saying this, Joe, I guess we're sitting in prison. I guess I'm sitting down there with you. We don't see that in our situations. We think that God is coming down on us and cursing us. And for some reason, now listen, 
If there's something you've done wrong, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to come and convict us of that sin. You need to repent and respond. But some of you, all hell is broken up, and you didn't do anything wrong, just like Joseph. Why, God, why? Simply because of the purposes of God in your life. You are a threat to him. You are a threat to him. And that's why the attack is there. I believe this with all my heart. It's quite possible that God actually gave permission to Satan to have his way with Joseph. He allowed him to be tempted by Potiphar's wife simply, on one hand, just to test him. On the other hand, he's sitting there and saying, hey, watch my boy, how he's going to go through this one. You want to take your best shot? I know how Joe is. I know this kid. And he's going he's to come through with flying colors. And after it was done, he's, the reason I think he sat in the prison is he kept speaking to him and saying, you passed the test. I'm with you. You passed the test. Well, how is this a bad thing? I'm so far away from your dream. Really? Jailer, why don't you give him a little bit of the distribution of authority here? And the jailer says, I like this guy. Here are the keys. Anything you want to do, it's yours. I don't have to look at this stuff. I'll trust it. It's quite possible that Satan, from time to time, is allowed to come into our lives, your lives, my life, and come in there and bring his bag of hell and bring temptation and bring destruction simply because God's purpose and goal is to get us somewhere else. We know he did it with Job. We know he did. Read chapter 1 and 2. There's this weird dialogue about God and Job that he says, go ahead, do whatever you want. I know this guy's going to fail. It's one of the weirdest books of the Bible for me is chapter 1 and 2 of Job. I was reading this thing as we went through a saturate and said, Dad, this doesn't sound like you. I've never let my kids go through this. Not, not when they were little, not now when they're adults. I certainly don't want any of my grandkids going through it. Dad, this doesn't sound like you. It doesn't sound like your character. He says, you haven't read the end of the book. You're, you're stuck. You're really, Tom, you're really stuck in chapter 3 to 41 trying to make sense like all his other friends. Go back and read the first chapters. Chapters 1 and 2, I gave him permission. I said it was okay. It's Peter, my other favorite chapter, the New Testament version of this. Peter, my friend, my best bud, my number one disciple. I just want to let you know, Satan has, much like Job, he's come and asked for permission to sift you like wheat. And I was thinking, sure, why not? Have at it. But here's the cool thing, Peter, I prayed for you. You're going to make it. You're going to get through this one. If I heard that and I was Peter, I'd say, what are you doing, God? Like so many of you have been doing over and over again, what are you doing, God? Instead of understanding, Peter passed the test and Job passed the test. Psalm 105 says, he sent a man before him, Joseph, who was sold to the slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. They laid him in iron until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. There are times where Satan is given permission and authority, if you will, to come in and to test us and to attack us. That doesn't sound like the loving God. Really? Scripture after scripture, I continue to find this last month. And I said, I've misjudged your character. Now help me to understand because it doesn't sound like you. Joseph was sold as a slave to the officer of Pharaoh so that he could learn how to run a business. My take on it is this. With all those kids, Jacob couldn't afford to send his son to West Point. So he had to find some way, and so he just happened to have some unruly brothers who happened to have a road that just happened to have a pit that just happened to be in the same place that a caravan was going through, a caravan looking for some slaves. They just happened to be greedy and gave him the slaves rather than kill them, and that caravan just happened to be going to Egypt to a place that was better than West Point. 
that he could learn how to conduct businesses and rule a government and have authority and have position and learn to trust God. And the end result was Egypt was saved, Israel was saved, the world was saved. How did he get there? By God allowing Joseph to go through stuff that does not seem right and does not seem fair. And it seems to contradict the dream, but it was the purpose of the dream that was driving all that other stuff. When God says yes to Satan to test people, he does so knowingly that we will come through successfully as long as we keep our eyes on him. Victoriously. Banners waving. It says he leads us in his triumph. We're more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. Conquerors go in and take the city. We're more than conquerors. We're to take possession of areas. And he knows, the enemy knows, that if he can keep us in this position, then all of a sudden everything will remain as they are. I am so convinced. This is what the Lord has been convicting me of. When I read, when I was going through Job, I said, Lord, this doesn't make sense. When I read Joseph, I said, this doesn't make sense. Why do we have chapters 3 through 41 of the book of Job? All it is is the conversation about three, four, five friends that are talking about a situation. They got it all wrong. Why do we have it? And the Lord said this to me. He said, that's where you live. And so many of your conversations and so many times that I've counseled people as a pastor and so many times that I've been in a position of trying to understand my own life. Then the Lord pierced my heart with this. He said, Tom, so much of the situations in your life don't make sense because you've never read chapter 1 and 2. I've never chosen to reveal to you. You've got to trust me. My plans for you are exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or, mind or imagine. No eye is ear, no heart is, has heard, ear has heard. No, it hasn't even entered in your hearts the things that I've planned and prepared for you. We will never, ever read sometimes chapters 1 and 2 of the story of our life. Joseph, as he was sitting in prison, didn't have the luxury like we do of flipping over to 50 to say, how does this, oh, it turns out pretty good. Okay, now I'll walk through with you. And neither do you and neither do I. And some of our stories don't make sense because we've never read chapter 1 and 2. Again, if you did something wrong, I believe the Holy Spirit will convict us and we need to turn and repent and ask for forgiveness and plead his blood and ask his mercy, knowing that if we don't turn from it, we could possibly end up in hell. On the other hand, for many of our stories, many of the stories that have taken place in this this church, the people listening to me, We've prayed, we've sought God, and you didn't do anything wrong. And simply it's this. There's a dream and a purpose God's got for your life, and the path of choosing to work things in and out of you doesn't make sense that he would allow the enemy to come in there and cause situations that are out of control. Some of you would never be in the place you are today if you had not gone through some of the hell you went through to get to you. Some of you people who come to the altar and pray for people are the most compassionate people because the life and the, and the death that you've wrestled with from the enemy has caused you to have compassion you wouldn't have. Some of the counseling I do with pastors, I'd never had if Satan had not allowed me to go through some of the stuff I've gone through. Some of the dreams and the purposes of your life are getting refined and cultivated, and that's the goal. That's the prize of what God, he said, I've got a purpose for you, and he's allowed this because that's exactly what it's going to take to get you there. And when you learn to realize that, you've not read chapter 1 and 2 of the book of your life. You go and you say, okay, God, doesn't make sense to me. And some of you have gone through physical, debilitating accidents and strokes and loss of children and loss of houses, and loss of jobs, and loss of finances, and your hands are up their mouths like Job, and say, though he's slave, he still I will trust you. Your hands are up much like Joseph, and you're saying, but God, I, 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 didn't, I didn't give in. I don't make sense. 
God is saying, it's all right. I'm with you. I'm still here with you. Nothing's changed. In fact, I think God's a little, oh, as a dad, I would never do that to one of my kids. Sit there and just say, you're fine. You'll be fine. I honestly believe that the father is sitting there saying, you're doing great. You're doing fine. Well done, good and faithful servants. You're passing the test. I'm happy with what you're doing. You're happy the enemy is coming at me? I'm not happy. But he did, if you read Job and you read Joseph's life and you read Peter's life, he never did anything more than what God said. Remember the story of Job? He only was allowed to do certain things. Now, now those are real things. And those of us who are parents and grandparents, we don't like the idea of children dying and animal dying and building that. It was tragedy. I'm not minimizing any pain here. But God allowed it. And this loving, lavish father allows something, slow to anger, compassionate, merciful. If he allowed it, he's got to have a greater purpose. He did not let him touch Job until he says, okay, he's doing so good, I have confidence. And even when Job was attacked, the end result of Job, God not only restored it, but as Cecilia pointed out about a month ago, he kept him faithful to continuing to follow him. Which is, isn't that what y'all want? It's what I want. I want, even if I have one last breath, to still have my hand up saying, God, I'm still trusting you. You're still Lord Jesus of my life. When I read the whole story of Peter, Job, Joseph, and even Jesus, I see his handwriting on it. I see that God allows things in order for his dreams to be fulfilled. When we speak of the wisdom of God, Paul writes to the Corinthians, when we speak of the wisdom of God and the mystery, the history of wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For it is written, eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor we enter in the heart of man the things that God prepared for those who love him. Joseph realized this when his brothers come to him in Genesis 50. And he says, well, you meant for evil, God meant for good, in order to bring it about as to this day to save many people alive. The disciples couldn't figure out how this loving, lavish father could allow Jesus to be crucified on the cross. These friends are sitting there bewildered, confused, saying, what is going on? What the heck is happening? This is not what I signed up for. And yet we know the end of the story. We know on three days later he comes out victorious and says, never have to worry about that one again, people. You confess your sin. I'm just and faithful to cleanse you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Call to me. Anyone called upon the name, you can get saved. But he had to go through that process. The seducer of the dream would love to convince us that something that is taking place in your life is more valuable, more worthy of focus and attention than what God's called you to be. We've got to get our eyes of people on the focus and the callings that God's got. That's why I really think that God wants to bring stuff back to us. So what do we do with all this stuff? What are the seducers in your life? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in your prayer time this next week. Let him speak to you right now. Let him speak to you to this day. Where, are, where is the seducer getting at my dream? Pastor Jim talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Is it the devil? Then deal with it. James 4 says, submit to God. Therefore, in light of his mercy, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Is it the world? Deal with it. Jesus said in, in, in John 2, actually John wrote it, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If it's the world that's been dealing with it, deal with it. Father, this world is just sucking the life out of me. Jesus was talking about the seed that was growing and how it just the lust of other things and the riches and the lures of all that. It's just choking out the word of God from coming back into my situation. Deal with it. Holy Spirit. Again, that's why we've been asking people to come up for prayer. 
Is it the flesh or sin? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9. Deal with these things, these seducers. He doesn't want you to sit around getting beat up. He'll never allow anything into your life outside of the will and the purpose. You've got to trust him on this. You say, I don't even trust him. That's a good place to start. Jesus came to reveal the Father. I don't have my, my heart belief in the Father simply because I worked at it. I cried out to it for my situations in life. And God came and brought his revelation of his Father. There's very few things I'll get you in a fight over. Tell me that we don't have a good God who loves you. I, we were one night in our Bible study. Somebody actually challenged it. And I, and I pulled this sword out, and I forgot I really do have a big sword that will defend Papa. I'm one of his kids. I'm my beloved, and I know he's mine. I know that... Across my forehead is written his name. I know I'm written on the palm of his hands. Don't tell me I don't got a loving father. Don't tell me I've not been adopted. There's something inside of my spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. The Galatians, Romans says, it's from the presence of God. Don't tell me you don't have a good father. You have, but the way I get it is you come and say, Jesus, take me to Papa. Worship team, come on up here. Some of you had tests and trials and attacks that seemed to have come out of nowhere. You've been attacked, and the purpose, again, is to take away your dream. Satan has been relentless to seduce you away from the dream. And listen to me, the whole idea, the whole idea of this being a year of dreams is repulsive to you. I don't want to dream anymore. I've dreamed enough. Shut up. Let's go back to a year of simple devotion or casting the nets. The idea of actually someone wanting you to start dreaming again, you can't because you've been hurt and you've been broken and you've been fractured. God wants to deal with that. See, the thing is this, when the enemy comes in to seduce you and take you away, there's this loving father that says, that's not my perspective, son, and I want you to see it. He doesn't toss us in the side and say, grow up. He never says, grow up. He matures us. He takes us. You've had your dreams shattered. Your stories are filled with real stories of loss and pain. Job's story was real loss. As a father, I cannot imagine any one of those things taking place in my life and getting through it. I can't. I can't. I've heard your stories. I cannot imagine, outside of the grace of God, how you're enduring. I cannot imagine what it's like to go through a spouse that has that go with stroke or what it's like to be stuck in a wheelchair. I broke my back, but I still walk. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine some of the dreams that you've had broken and people and the parents who have been abusive. I read someone's blog yesterday. They were talking about why they don't go to church. Just a good Christian woman, hurt, shattered, fractured by the church. I can't imagine that. And then someone coming alongside and saying, it's a year to dream. You've had enough. You're tired. You're broken. It's all you can do just to come to church. I came here for one purpose. It's time to dream again. God's dream and purposes for your life are not going away. That's what he's formed you for. That's what he's called you for. That's his purposes and his plan for his life. That's it. Some of you are so afraid. (laughs) I'll just tell you this. Listen, you've never read chapter 1 and 2 of your life. You never have. I don't think God just says, suck it up, kid. You've got to get it through this. As a loving father, I always tell my kids what I'm trying to do. Last week, we had an altar call. And people came up for prayer. And I remember I was standing here. And this is the way the Lord shows me, you see. As I'm, I'm looking across, I saw this man. And the Lord said, go pray for him. And I tried making eye contact. And he stood there with his face, his eyes looking down at the ground. 
And when I was leaving, he was out in the back with Pastor Jim and Brian, and they were praying for him. They were just starting praying for him. And I went and I prayed for him. And all three of us had a similar sense to what to pray from. And when we were done, he looks at me and he said, Tom, I knew I was supposed to come up for prayer. And I thought, if I keep my eyes down, you can't make eye contact with me. I said, no, wait a minute. The God of the universe wanted you to come up and get prayer. He said, yes. And you said, no. That's hurt. This is the guy who has been wounded and fractured. Some by his own mistakes, some by others. If you're in that position, all the more reason to come up and get prayer. There are people here. If some of you are saying, I, I can't even come forward because metaphorically I'm crippled in my feet. Do you remember the four friends that took you up and they opened the roof up and lowered them down to Jesus? Put your hand up wherever you are and say, someone pray for me. This morning I was praying for someone else, but someone come pray for me. If you're at a place that you can't even dream again because of brokenness, let's deal with that today. The seducer of the dream has convinced you that there's that your story started in chapter 3. And I'm telling you this with all my heart. Just like Joseph, we know. We know God was with him. We know the victory is on the other side. We know it was all part of the dream. I'm telling you with every fiber that's inside of me, your story's not done. You've not missed it. It's time to dream again. The most popular, most powerful testimony of God's grace is, dis, is demonstrated not from being removed from suffering, but by enduring it gracefully. About a year and a half ago, as I started my sabbatical, well, I started my sabbatical a year ago, but it was probably about um, nine months ago. I was out for a walk one morning. And, and God was already revealing to me that it was time to dream again. I knew that it was time to dig another well. It was time to, to trust him again for what God was calling me to. And I remember standing at this ice rink down in South St. Paul on a Sunday morning looking for pucks, my real spiritual adventure last year. And I stood there in the middle of this field, I can still see it today, down off Southview. And I stood there and I said, who in heaven have I but you, God? And the Lord says, no one, but I'm here. And I went home and looked up that psalm and I read over Psalm 73. And I turned on a song by... Um, could have been Jason Upton. It was one of those guys, and I just kept playing it over and again. It was, it was probably Dave Roos. And I kept listening to that song. Now, we want to do this song here. But I'm telling you that some of you today are sitting here saying, you know what? That's not the story of my life because you know what? God doesn't know me as well as you think he does. He's adopted you. He took you in full package. Natural kids, we got to love them the way they are. Even in-laws, you got to love them because sometimes your kids will marry someone. You think, I got to vote on all my kids. I love my in-laws just for the tape. I love my, I love my son-in-laws. I love my daughters-in-laws. I love them. They're great. God has blessed me. God blessed me with great father and mother-in-laws. Got that? All right. Adoptive parents know the mess they're getting. We've been adopted by the father. He knew what he was getting. He's not disgusted with you. He's not put off with you. He knows what he was getting into when he called you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not giving up. He just wants you to don't quit. Don't give up. If you don't do it, we win. That's the cry of God today. Don't quit. Don't give up. He knew he was getting into when he called you. Nothing's changed. The enemy's been relentless because of the calling on your life, because the people groups he wants to reach through you, your workplaces. I can't go to everyone's workplaces. I love hanging with the youth on Wednesday night. The stories of God using them over and over again. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. 
Stand on your feet, please. Just to make it easier for people to come forward, let's pray for each other. So many fractured lives in this place. So many fractured lives, people listening to this. Lives that have been hurt and wounded. And we're so broken, we can't even come and ask for prayer. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would stir up our hearts. Cause our feet to, to not stay where we're at. Both literally in asking for prayer as well as not staying where we're at in relationship to the dream versus where we're at. Father, the seducer's been coming at us, but you have also been relentless. Father, would you bring your truth today? Would you bring your, your, your grace today to speak into our lives? We want to come into your throne room that we might find mercy and grace in our hour of need. Your word says we're to come boldly. That means without fancy words. That means not even taking off our shoes and worrying about the mud and worrying about the debris and worrying about all the, the fancy religiosity. You have called us into your presence, Father. I'm praying that by your spirit, you'd bring revelation knowledge of who we are in Christ as sons and daughters, fashioned and formed by the Father, adopted by the Father. I'm praying that today, today, would be a breaking point, a stopping point of the seduction of the enemy in our lives. That, Father, instead the revelation of your purposes, your plans, your divine destiny for our life would come up. That that would be the motivating force while we get up in the morning. The motivating force while we press into worship. The motivating force, but the will and the purposes of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. God, we want to do that. We want your kingdom to come and your will to become. So, Father, I proclaim that over every life. In the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, you are no longer cast out. You are purpose and you have division no more. You're once again reacquainted with the Father. Father, just as you were with Joseph in his brokenness, I'm praying for those who are going through incredible times of hurt and grief and confusion, that they would be able to see you. Father, I'm praying that even in their brokenness, you'd use them to remind them that you're still with them and your anointing is with them because they're a child of yours and they're filled with the Spirit. Father, I want to see the advancement of your kingdom in each one of our lives, that today, today, the manifest presence would come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to do a few songs. Uh, You may see Brenda's running out of here real fast. Apparently, you know, she's got to be with the Boston Bruins. I had a chance to be with the Boston Bruins, Matt, yesterday, and I turned them down. So, whatever. We want to make it easier for them to get out. So, if you need to go, go. But I want to provide opportunity for us to pray for each other. Don't leave without getting prayer, all right? Don't miss this day. There's windows of opportunities. Would you please be selfish today and ask for prayer for the sake of those that God wants to touch through you? Amen? Did you hear what I said? Would you please be selfish and get prayer from somebody around you or up front here for the sake of who God wants to touch through you? In Jesus' name.